Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon for this day, the observance of the Feast of St. Michael and all angels, is taken from the second lesson today, from the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Over the last decade or so, angels seem to have become quite popular in our culture. In some cases, people's fascination with these beings has blossomed into some sort of a full-blown frenzy. Books have been written about them. TV shows and movies have depicted the actions of angels in people's lives in ways that are readily seen or heard or felt and even understood. Artwork, ranging from small figurines to huge stone carvings, have become collector's items. When this phenomenon reached a crescendo a few years ago, I half expected to find paintings from luminescent ink on black velvet for sale at flea markets and rural gas stations right there alongside Elvis. In many cases, however, it's pretty clear that this human fascination with angels often has very little to do with the truths of the Christian faith. At times, in fact, it's even readily apparent that many people want to create their own versions of what angels are and what they do, rather than listening to the evidence that God gives us in his holy word. As we observe today this Feast of St. Michael and all angels, it's appropriate for us to consider for a time just what it is we know and don't know about angels. To do this, we go, as we always must, to God's own word. Angels appear in both the Old Testament and the New. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, they are described usually or called malach. In the Greek of the New Testament, they are known as angelos. In both cases, this word means messenger. And we know that God has often used angels to convey his word, his purposes, his thoughts to human beings. We find the root of this very same word, for example, in what the angel brought to those shepherds outside of Bethlehem on that glorious night. Oi angelizo, good tidings, good news, the very gospel itself. And it's from this term that we get our modern word evangelism. That is to go out and tell the good news about Jesus to the world all around us. As part of creation, angels did not exist eternally as have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't know exactly when, but sometime during the process of creation, God made angels. And while they may at times take on bodily appearances according to God's wishes to carry out His work and His purposes, they are spirit beings. They are without flesh and blood as we human beings have. We only see, hear, and feel their presence and their actions if that too is in accordance with God's purposes. Though Jesus, in Matthew 18.10, tells us that the angels have the privilege of being in God's glory and seeing it undiminished in heaven, and they have been given great knowledge and power to carry out His work, 
Angels are not all-seeing, all-knowing, or all-powerful as God is. The Scriptures tell us that there are uncountable angels, and they have not only been given guard to, or given charter to guard and keep you, they have often been sent to perform other specific tasks as God ordains them. He does this, or God does this in order to fulfill His purposes. Sometimes this does happen in forms that people can see, or hear, or feel. Angels appeared to Abraham, to Lot, to Daniel, to Zechariah, and to the Virgin Mary, and to those at Jesus' tomb on Easter morning. They spoke to prophets. They closed the mouths of lions. They forced donkeys off of pathways. They appeared in dreams. They guard and keep us. They guarded the garden. And they often were called upon to destroy the enemies of God's people. All of that sounds very good. And it is. For God created the angels to serve Him in righteousness and holiness, just as He did all creation. That which He declared on the sixth day was very good. We know, however, that just as mankind was unable to use the freedom of will which our Heavenly Father gave to our earthly ancestors and to remain faithful and sinless, so were many of His angels. There was rebellion in heaven, just as there was rebellion on the earth. Even though they had been in God's presence, even though they knew His holiness, His glory, and His power, a great many angels rejected these privileges. For this defiance, they were condemned to remain forever in their evil state, with no hope of restoration. These angels can no longer do any good, but instead they seek to lead the world astray from God and to thwart, to the extent possible, God's purposes in the lives of humanity. These evil angels, the prince of darkness, Satan himself, and all of his followers, are the greatest outward danger that you and I face in our day-to-day lives. Not only do they lay the snares of temptation before us time and time again, they constantly work their work of lies and deceptions. And for every good understanding that we gain from God's Word, for every noble thought or word or deed that the Holy Spirit guides you or I to do, there creeps Satan, that crafty serpent, whispering at us once again, Did God really say... If we're strong at that moment, if we're sustained by our knowledge and our trust in God's Word, that is, if we're faithful at that moment, then our answer is, yes, God really did say, and I really believe it, and I trust it, and I will strive to follow it. But you know good and well that we have our, plenty of our other moments too, don't we? You have them, I have them. Those sitting next to you and in front of you and behind you in the pews today have them as well. They're those moments when we don't remain aligned with that angel who said, He is not here, He is arisen. 
moments when we stray and forget the angel's words of unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. We ignore and we negate those words of glory to God in the highest and peace to men on earth of those angels we heard on high. Instead, we listen to those angels we have heard down low. The angels and their leader who have been cast out from heaven and now prowl the earth looking for someone to devour. And you and I are all too willing to leap right into the gaping mouth of hell's lion, eager to be a tasty, tender snack that he can chew on until we're pulverized and just about to be swallowed. We know from God's Word that no sin is truly greater or worse than another in terms of the alienation and the separation it creates between ourselves and our holy, righteous God. That all sins would place us under the condemnation of death. Yet we also know from Scripture that there is a particularly great and even an eternal danger of the unforgivable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That is, to persistently deny the work of faith in our lives to forgive sins and overcome that condemnation. It's that sin which Satan and all of his demons work hardest to make a reality in our lives. From the moment of the first sin until Christ shed his blood on the cross, Satan was able to stand before God and accuse mankind. He could list every sin. And he took particular delight in listing all of those sins committed by God's elect people, by you and by me. Up to a point, God tolerated those accusations, knowing what his plan for the world really was. The prince of darkness was able, even able to stand in the presence of God and get permission to tempt Job, a man God knew to be steadfast in his faith. Satan accused Job of only loving and only trusting God because of what God had done for Job in the temporal sense. That is, making him rich, giving him lots of possessions, and blessing him with a good and large family, and so on. But as just an angel, and even a fallen one at that, Satan could not see into Job's heart as God can. He could not know that there was true faith in that heart. And so, like he did and has done for you and against me, the devil threw one accusation after another about one person after another before God. But when Jesus atoned for the sins of the whole world on that bloody cross, God didn't need to hear Satan's accusations any longer. On account of Christ, God's chosen people are now declared not guilty. When Christ arose for our justification, we became righteous in God's sight. Satan's presence in heaven, accusing all of humanity time and time again, lost its purpose. Every one of his accusations became a lie. Jesus' blood has, has made us holy in God's judgment pure and holy on account of Christ, by grace, through faith, we became immune to the devil's accusations before God. Then it was time for Satan to go. 
And as he so often does, God chose in his wisdom to exercise his power and his purpose and his will through means. He worked through his servants. Michael and the loyal angels of heaven were called upon to cast Satan and the rebellious angels from God's presence. They did not want to go quietly. And there was an epic battle fought. What a monumental struggle it must have been. All of the forces of evil on one side against the great many who loved and trusted in God on the other. Eventually, the hosts of heaven prevailed. Satan was cast down from heaven to the earth, where he continues his futile but desperate and persistent struggle against God and against God's chosen people, against you and me each and every moment of each and every day. We face a daunting and relentless attack from this flesh-devouring lion, one which we cannot hope to win on our own. Thankfully, God does not leave us to soldier on alone against these forces of evil. He gives to you his Holy Spirit, as Christ had promised, which calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies his holy church here on earth. He blesses you with the gifts of his means of grace, his holy word and sacraments, to give you both the reality and the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins and life everlasting. What's more, he continues to provide you with angels to protect you and preserve you. They are here, even now, even here, always protecting and defending us believers in Christ from the devil's wrath. Martin Luther once wrote this concerning angels. We Christians should have the sure knowledge that the princes of heaven are with us, not only one or two, but a large number of them. And if we were without this custody, and God did not in this way check the fury of Satan, we could not live for one moment. Luther also wrote elsewhere, that the entire world is not a mass of flames, that all towns and villages are not lying in a heap of ruins, we owe to the working and the doing of the good angels. Therefore, we may and we should rejoice and take great comfort that the angel service is an expression of God's love and care for us. We don't worship them. We don't pray to them because they are merely created beings like we are. Satan, of course, he would love your worship. And as you know, he works very hard to gain that worship, or at least to redirect your worship toward anything but the one true God. Crafty and sly, he works on believers and unbelievers alike. Disbelief is the devil's work. Doubt is his work. Denial even of his own very existence is his work, and it gives him great satisfaction. Satan and his ways can often appear to be very pleasing and attractive to us, coming as he does, disguised as an angel of light. In fact, this is one of the distinctions between the devil and his angels and God's true and holy angels. For when God sends his angels, Luther wrote, the good angels bring terror. That is, they come with a certain majesty, so that the people to whom they come are frightened. Thus Mary is filled with fear upon seeing an angel. 
but an evil angel, creeps along smoothly and gently like a serpent until he has lured men into security and sin. We all, by nature, resemble Satan and his angels too often in our lives and in many ways. Humanity was created good, yet turned away from our relationship with God, as we still often do. Satan is the father of lies, the Word tells us. And our tongues are deceitful too. Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And how often do we, in our own hearts, hate our brothers and sisters and become murderers as well? Corrupted in nature, corrupted in thought, word, and deed, we frequently act as children of the devil and not as children of our Heavenly Father. Yet through God's grace, working in Jesus Christ, we are immaculately pure in His sight, like the holy angels in heaven. Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection have given us the same destiny as that enjoyed by the heavenly angels, to spend eternity in glory in the presence of our loving God. Until then, we join with the angels and we continue the fight against Satan. What does our text from Revelation say to us today? The accuser of our brothers and of us is overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. By word and sacrament, and not by our own wisdom and strength, do we overcome Satan. The word is ours. Each and every time we come together here to hear it and to pray to God with it. The blood of the Lamb is ours frequently too. Each time that we partake of it, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. After all, what is Christ's Supper but a foretaste of the heavenly victory banquet? In this world, at times it may seem as though Satan and his evil forces are winning in the death of a believer, especially one who dies on account of his or her faith, in the destruction that comes with natural disasters, or in the carnage and death of war. In the false prophets, false gospels, and even false Christ we see and hear of all around us. We see and we hear of these, and the devil whispers in our ear, Is there really a victory in this, Christian? Did God really say? To these doubts and these accusations, we have this answer. Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. The victory is, and the victory always will remain, with God in Christ Jesus, no matter what we see or hear or feel or think or go through. Boast then in Satan's face, you are beaten. Even now your head has been crushed and your place of torment awaits you. We have been given authority to trample on your kingdom. Even as Satan passes into torment, we shall pass into glory with all of the loyal and faithful angels, for our names are written in heaven, and great joy awaits us. In heaven, nothing will harm us. There we will shine with the brightness of stars forever and ever, 
Yes, you will shine like the glorious holy angels, clothed in immortality, and even with the glory of Christ, the King of angels himself. To him be all the glory and power and honor with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.